I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So people tell horror stories in our business about interviewing certain folks. And some of them are like contentious. Others you just don't get much out of. And Lane Kiffin, candidly, uh, fits the latter category. Some people on the streets say, it's not worth it. You're not going to get a lot out of him. Well, we got Lane Kiffin on the show tonight, and I can promise you we got a lot out of him. Uh, So stay tuned for that. It is Late Kick Live. We are jam-packed. High atop a media field downtown Nashville, Tennessee, Thursday night, July 20th, the year of our Lord, 2023. We got some SEC Media Days reaction. I'm not going to lead the show with it because I don't want to. I think there's something better to lead the show with. And you know what I want to talk to you about? I want to talk to you about whether you're happy. This is not one of those, are you better off than you were four years ago? But it is a, how did you feel 10 years ago about college football? Has it changed? We're going to work off of something that's already out there and add our flavor onto it. I am going to talk several teams from SEC Media Days. We've been over there four days. So the Grand Hyatt was our home. Well, I went home to sleep in my own bed every night, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, Saw a ton of things, talked to a ton of people behind the scenes. So you watched all the press conferences. And if you haven't, I got a lot of conversations with coaches on our channel right now for you to watch. I'm going to give you the scoop. I'm going to give you what people were talking about behind the scenes that they weren't quite brave enough to say on camera. It is Miami Spotlight Night, so we've got a lot to talk about. They're watching us in Lakeland, Florida, Marietta, Ohio, Modesto, California, and Charlotte, North Carolina. We have seen wonderful sub-traffic on the channel this week. I merely ask you, whatever you guys have been doing, whatever kind of peer pressure campaigns you've been applying, continue to do it. And a warning, this is mainly for Colin. The rest of you will just hear it. I'm going to the gym immediately after the show because this week has wreaked havoc on my workout schedule. That's not important to you. What is important is at some point during the show, I've got to take this pre-workout that I have mixed in a Callaway Bleu bottle, bottled in Hamilton, Georgia, by the way, and it's going to get real really quick whenever I chug that, and it'll be somewhere around uh, the 7.30 mark. Okay. Yeah, it was Media Days week, and yeah, we'll be in Indianapolis, by the way, next week for Media Days. I don't really want to talk to you about Media Days to lead the show. How do you feel about college football right now? Are you excited about the future? Are you nervous? Are you scared? Do you not look forward to the future? What really matters to fans is what I want to talk about. It's really all we ever want to talk about. It's how I frame the entire show. So this will be no different. What matters to you as a college football fan? Don't look to your left or right. I mean, right now, whether you're in your car or you're on your recliner, what matters to you? Do you care about conference realignment? Do you care about NIL? Do you care that players make money or not? Do you care about how many teams are in a conference? Do you care about how hard it is to build and maintain a roster for a college head coach? Or do you care about your tailgating experience? Do you care about your ticket prices continuing to escalate? Which of these things matter and which don't? There's, I think, 
a little bit too much of an engine strapped on some of those topics. I think this is my personal take. So I'm a fan just like you are. My personal take is I think we talk way too much about NIL. I think the mechanisms of the transfer portal get talked about way too much. The portal itself, the players themselves, by all means, we talk about them as well. But I was over, I was over at Media Days all week, and I talked to a lot of people about this. But I think, and this is the third time that we've plugged this guy over the summer because he's doing great work, even though he doesn't work for this company. David Ubbin over at The Athletic had the brilliantly simplistic idea of going to you. We do that all the time. He did it, and he said, in kind of a poll format, what matters to you? And how excited are you about the future of college football? I looked at the results. This is over on The Athletic. I looked at the results, and I said, wow, that speaks to me a little bit. Enough so that I told Jesse at about 4.30, hey, forget media days. I actually want to talk about this to lead the show. So they asked in this poll on a 1 to 10 scale, like 1 being the most nervous about the future, 10 being the most excited about the future, how do you feel about the future of college football? And 53% of you were between a 7 and a 10. So a majority of college football fans are really excited about the future. And that's exactly what I pick up from you guys. That is no different than the interactions I have with you in airports or in our comment section or in my DMs or email. And that number, I would argue, is even still a little watered down because when some fans say, I'm not excited about the future, it may just be a fan that's not excited about the coach that their team just hired. So they don't think they're going to be good. But if you were to rephrase it and say, forget about your team, holistically, the sport, how do you feel about it? Even some of them would say, eh, I'm pretty excited. Okay, I get what you're saying. I'm pretty excited. So I actually think that number in real life is closer to 60%. I think about six in 10 of you are on a one to 10 scale, about a seven to 10 excited about the future of the sport. Well, that begs the question for me, where is all this talk coming from about this and that destroying college football? I've heard people talk about NIL in those terms. I've heard people talk about the transfer portal in those terms. I've heard people talk about the potential future of employment status or stati, because there are multiple players. Uh, I've heard people talk about that as being a detriment to the point of destroying the sport. It's obviously not destroying college football. Uh, college football is really what fans care about. The fabric of the sport is what fans care about. The, the field's always going to be the same dimensions. The jerseys are always going to be the same color. So really, when we get down to the nuts and bolts, or as Nick Saban would say, when we pull the cake out of the oven, you cut into that thing. It's not what a writer or a commentator really cares about. It's what you care about. Like It's what we, fans, it's what we care about. Uh, you guys just flat out don't care about a lot of that stuff. You'll notice we didn't lead the show tonight, nor will we have anything in the show tonight about Congress and NIL. I don't think you care. I really think you read those headlines and you click right past them as I do. And I just tell people, hey, let me know when you got something. Like, do we have anything? Okay, I, I don't really, I just, maybe you do care. I don't care about it. And I don't get the sense that you guys do. So here's what you do care about. You do care about conference realignment. That's what I found from this piece on The Athletic. And that is exactly what I've gotten from you. So nothing in this article surprised me. None of the results surprised me. The biggest issue, that's what David Ubbin asked in this article from The Athletic. The biggest issue facing college football is what? To you. What is it to you? And NIL got some, got some run. Uh, lack of parity. Surprisingly low turnout for lack of parity. Even though I'm told that is just an astronomical threat to the future of the sport. Uh, portal, roster management, like that got some push too. You know what the number one consensus response 
to the biggest issue facing college football was conference realignment. That's what you don't like. You don't like a team from Southern California playing a team from New Jersey in conference play. You like the territoriality. You like the regionality. You like the fact that this sport was made up of regions representing things more so than just a sticker that represents things. The Big Ten used to be a region. Now it's a sticker. The Pac-12, I don't actually know what the Pac-12 is going to be, so let's table that. The SEC, extending all the way from the coast to Texas. Texas touches New Mexico, which touches Arizona, which touches California, which touches the Pacific Ocean, which touches Japan, kids. So just, you know, basically inches away from playing in the the Asian Pacific realm. That's, that's where we are at college football right now. So you guys don't like that. I'm not crazy about it either. Now, we have acknowledged on this show, and I'll acknowledge again, there is some hypocrisy. Uh, it's probably not hypocrisy, but they'll call us hypocrites when we lash out against conference realignment, but then we're really excited to tune in to Alabama versus Oklahoma. You hypocrites, I thought you said you hated this. Uh, we hate the spirit of it. We'd love this matchup. In fact, we'd take Alabama versus Oklahoma every year. Could you give it to us as an out-of-conference game? Hmm? Whomst amongst us wouldn't watch that. And the third question that I wanted to touch on tonight. Has the enjoyment of college football consumption changed for you over the last 10 years? Do you enjoy it less, more, the same? Now, before I give you the result, and there are like a dozen more really good poll results in this feature. Um, it's behind a paywall, so I'm not giving it to you for free. That would be unethical. But I'm asking you again, do you think your, your consumption experience is better, worse, or the same than it was a decade ago, if you've been around a decade watching college football? A vast majority of you said it's the exact same, or just about the exact same. There were fringe minorities that said it's way better and way worse, but as I expected, vast majority of you, right there still in the middle. You, there may be some things you don't love or care for. Newsflash, there always were those things. No one's ever been completely, totally in harmony with every aspect of college football. I mean, half of you have been bent out of shape your entire lives that Notre Dame's not in a conference. Did it ruin watching Clemson versus Florida State for you? Of course it didn't. Nor is a kid having... 10 grand extra in his back pocket because he did a commercial with Popeye's chicken going to really impact your viewership of North Carolina versus Boston College this fall if they play each other. So I was over at Media Days today and I was on with T-Bob and Jacob Hester, the guys from On the Bench, shout out, fellow Cornhub members. And we talked about this and I said, you know, a lot of folks say a lot of things are ruining everything around here. But really, it's not. Really, it's not. I always go back to this. Those of you who listen to the show pretty hardcore, you know where I'm about to go. Let's just pick a matchup. Let's pick, uh, let's pick Texas, Oklahoma. Okay, so here's, how, here, here's my litmus test for whether college football is being destroyed or whether it's fine. Because this is what matters to me. I'm answering the poll question now. Here's what matters to me. Red River Shootout this fall. Texas OU. Brent Venable's coming off, uh, barely making a bowl game. Sark and company looking to elevate from uh, an eight-win season to winning the Big 12 championship game. They know they got to go through each other. It's a hated, heated rivalry. The smell of funnel cakes are thick in the air at the Texas State Fair. And it's 31 to 31. There are five minutes and change left to go in the fourth quarter. It is fourth and two. 
Texas is on the OU 31-yard line, and Sark has chosen to go for it over kicking a field goal because they're one for four on field goals that day. Play clock is at eight, seven, six. Half that stadium's roaring. Half that stadium's chewing their fingernails to the nub. Hit the pause button right now. What matters to you? Do you care about NIL? Do you care about the portal? Do you care about how many of those kids didn't originally commit to Texas or OU out of high school? Or do you just care about the vibe that's being given off, whether you're watching on TV or you're fortunate enough to be in the Cotton Bowl in that moment? What are you soaking in? I'm soaking in that moment because that moment feels the same way to me in 2023 as it did in 2003. As for some of you, it did in 1973. As long as you have that, that's college football. As long as you tailgated the night before and the day of at the Texas State Fair for that game, you've got college football. As long as I'm watching a Longhorn run out onto the field, as long as I'm watching uh, that, that Sooner Schooner take the field, as long as I'm watching that stuff happen, I got college football. And I may not have every mechanism in place exactly how I want it, but I got college football. So it hasn't been ruined for me at all. I got news for you. It's not going to be ruined. Um, I would quit long before it got ruined for me. And it's, it's not anywhere close to being ruined. So I just thought that was interesting. You know, on the last day of Media Days, David Ubbin, who was at Media Days probably, sweeps in and he takes the lead slot on Late Kick Live tonight. Thank you, David. We appreciate it. Good article. I would encourage you guys to go check out the rest of it. Welcome in. If you're watching live, I got a Lane Kiffin interview you will really like, even if you're not an Ole Miss fan. Coming up in a few minutes, uh, Jesse, Colin, one of you, remind me to take my pre-workout. I'm not going to set an alarm clock because we're live on air right now, but I want to be reminded at about 7.30 to take this. Please and thank you. The what if train rolls on tonight. What if these things happen this season? We're going to start in the ACC. What if Florida State starts two and two? That is a preseason co-favorite to win the ACC there. That's one of the playoff dark horse right in the broad daylight darlings out there. Well, Grant asked, what if they start two and two? Now, Grant is insinuating they lose to LSU and they lose to Clemson. And bam, first month of the season, they're sitting there at 500 assuming that they beat Southern Miss in Boston College. And we're going to make that bold assumption here. So you got to remember the expectation. The expectation here is the over-under win total is nine and a half. Like I said, they have aspirations of winning the conference, maybe Jordan Travis fringe Heisman contender status. They want a lot more than just bowl eligibility and a lot more is expected of them this year. Here's what would happen in this scenario. If they start two and two, it would be a tidal wave of, I told you so. Because there are a lot of people who are detractors, who doubt Florida State, who look at how last year went and they look at this wave of momentum that started to build and this bubble of hype that started to build at the end of the year and they're saying, but who did they really beat? Which is one of the most tired arguments in college football. But it does matter. It does matter. It's just a case-by-case thing. It shouldn't be a broad consensus-held opinion. And they would say, they played three ranked teams last year. They lost all three of them in the middle of the season. Then they beat some trash at the end of the year and y'all got worked up about them. We tried to tell you, you installed them as your favorite to win the ACC. You picked them to go to the playoff, and here they are two and two. Don't you feel stupid? Well, maybe they have a valid point. I would remind them, if this were to happen, it would happen before the month of October has even arrived. And so here's what I think would happen. I think it's possible that it actually does go down this way. These are two extremely losable games. They are they're underdogs in both of the matchups. So point spread-wise, they actually should be two and two. But let's just say they are. 
Okay? What's happened there? Yes, you probably have lost out on a playoff shot, but the whole world would then look away from you, most of them would, and you would be written off, and then you would actually be able to get to work, and your schedule would significantly lighten, and you'd come out of your bye week, and you'd realize, wait a second, we only have one conference loss. And it's not division format anymore. So they take the top two teams regardless. So we're not getting boxed out just because of a head-to-head loss against a division foe. Let's go play for the ACC championship. Oh, maybe, by the way, Clemson's there, and we atone for that loss. And who knows? Just because we hadn't had a two-loss team make the playoff doesn't mean we can't. I, I think the ACC would still be within reach, and I think they, they may still be a very good team in that scenario. Or they get blown out 49 to 17 and 38 to 13, and it's a disaster. So uh, not, not all two and twos are the same, as Meemaw would say. I think she was talking about line dancing, though. I digress. We move on. Here it is. You guys didn't go playoff. You didn't go conference championship game. You flat out said, Marcus, what if Texas wins the national title? Well, the world would implode. As you know it, the world would implode. I've, look at my fingers. Look at the nervous energy as I start to even contemplate this. Oh, by the way, we have burnt orange liquid in the chalice tonight. Coincidence? Yeah, probably. But I'm going to say I think not. If Texas wins the national championship, it would be unlike anything you guys in high school or younger have ever experienced. Most of you in college were not old enough to remember what the world was like when this was the case. Because the last time they won one was 05. And when that happened, it was what many call the greatest college football game of all time out in the Rose Bowl, Vince Young in Texas over Matt Leinert in USC. But you got to understand what a world where Texas is on top feels like. Texas uh, is like one of very few programs, and Texas folks would tell you there is no other program like them. They have, they have almost like the, the aura of an English Premier League soccer club. Like they're so much bigger than a Texas Tech or a Baylor or a TCU. The brand, it reverberates coast to coast, Seattle to Miami to New York to LA. You walk through airports, you throw up the Longhorn logo, and people know what it is. And if they actually started to fulfill on the always present immense potential of, forget about the team, the program and the brand, you would start to hear that word a lot, by the way, brand. Oh, people love to throw that around when an established brand reestablishes itself. Whew, brand, brand, brand. Well, that would be the case. And also they would be essentially a rocket ship being fired into the SEC. They're already recruiting very well. Uh, they already don't have a problem convincing quarterbacks and elite skill perimeter talent to come there. They've recruited on the lines of scrimmage very well. If they win a national championship and you can't negatively recruit against them anymore by saying, Sark's never proven anything, man, they're just, they're selling you hopes and dreams out there. We've got the hardware in the trophy case. If you can't use that against them and they get to package up Austin, Texas and the ability to win titles and get developed and Oh, by the way, there's an entire NIL machine in place out there. It's kind of hard to say no. So uh, Texas, if they won one, man, it'd be hard to screw that up. And I think there would be multiple trips to that college football playoff in the offing. Next up, you remember last year, where were you when the selection committee announced the Final Four? Or the year before, for that matter? Well, Roy hit us up and he said, what if we get another college football playoff Cinderella? I would have advice for you if this happens, Roy. I would say enjoy it while you can. 
it would be the last time you've ever seen one. Because we have a, an expanded playoff coming up, which people think is going to be a utopia for these sorts of things. In reality, your hopes and dreams are going to go straight up Hindenburg style in an expanded playoff. But for all the talk about how we're going to open up the world to more Cinderella possibilities, need I remind you, if this were to happen, you would have had a final three years of the 14 playoff that saw Cincinnati go to the playoff, TCU go to the national title game, and whoever makes it this year. And I'd be sitting there watching revisionist history tell me, oh, it was the same four teams every year. Even though, here we are, nearly a decade into the playoff, and the same four teams have never made the playoff twice. You hear what I said? For all the folks out there who tell you, oh, the same four teams make it every year. It's literally never happened. Any two years, not just back-to-back, period. There's never been a year where four teams made it and another year where those same four teams made it. And yet, the lies continue. So, Roy, if this happens this year, I'd golf clap the heck out of Kansas State. I'd, I'd root for them. I got a text from one of their folks today. Good people out there in Manhattan. Hope to get out there again this year and see them. It will be infinitely harder to pull that off in the future, so enjoy it while you can. Lastly, this would be a little treacherous. Devin said, what if USC's defense does not improve again? I think there would be wholesale defensive staff changes if this happened. This is not inside intel. It is a semi-guided opinion that I think Lincoln Riley went in there in year one, and they massively improved the overall fortunes of that team. It takes more than one recruiting and portal cycle to stockpile yourself defensively, and that's if you recruit elite defensively. They haven't recruited elite defensively. They've gotten better. And the transfer portal, you know, you go get a guy like Anthony Lucas and Bear Alexander. Yeah, those guys walk in and they're instantly more impressive than anyone on campus. Hopefully you can add depth behind them. But if it doesn't improve this year over last year, I, I think you'd be looking for a new defensive coordinator, maybe a new defensive staff. And I think that while a lot of people would laugh at USC if that were to happen, there's a world where USC falls short this year because of defensive shortcomings. Lincoln Riley makes changes folks thought he should have made even at Oklahoma, and they're better for it. And people who have to play him every year end up looking back and saying, wow, I wish they would have been a little bit better, just enough to keep that defensive staff in place. It's, it's a funny world. Be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. USC might suck defensively, and Lincoln Riley may pull a lever out there and may just dump his defensive staff, and all of a sudden he actually gets a defensive higher right And you look out there and say, wow, USC with above average defensive play and Lincoln Riley and all those quarterbacks, three of the last six Heisman winners. He's developed. He's coached. So, yeah, we're going to have to wait until the back half of the year, probably, to see how this unfolds for them. But, yeah, I think there would be changes. I think there's one more year of, of leeway to play as ineffectively as they did last year, which is totally fair. And if it doesn't improve, I think there'd be changes. That's what I think. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I think Academy Sports and Outdoors is wonderful. This show is presented by Academy Sports and Outdoors. They made our SEC Media Days coverage possible. You saw, let's see, Nick Saban, Kirby Smart. Um, tonight, we got Lane Kiffin on the show. Like in, in about two minutes, we got Lane Kiffin on the show. Uh, Napier joined the show. We, we had all kinds of guests. We had four full days of coverage over there at the Grand Hyatt. Academy Sports and Outdoors makes that possible. And let me tell you what else they make possible. We've been talking about those Guardian caps this week. You see one right now on the screen. Football season getting ever closer. Some of you are on the fence about letting little Teddy play football this year. I'm not going to parent for you. Far be it for me too. But if you do decide to, call up Coach. Say, Coach, you know about Guardian helmets? You know about Guardian caps? Chances are he already does. Uh, but if you're in the coaching profession and you don't know about them, check them out exclusively at Academy Sports and Outdoors for the time being, either in person or at academy.com. You're talking about reducing impact on the head. You're talking about reducing temperature in that helmet. You're talking about all the ups and none of the downs. Really interesting research. You can go read about it on Academy Sports and Outdoors at academy.com. You can just Google Guardian caps for all I care. Do some research on it. You'll be very impressed very quickly with what you read. Pretty simple. It's a pretty simple concept. And there it is right there in front of you if you're watching on YouTube. Academy Sports and Outdoors, your one-stop shop for all things outdoor sporting goods supplies and a little bit of plus on the end. I want to make sure that I say hey to everyone watching live uh, because this is, this is a nice, fun Thursday for us. Got another show Sunday. We'll be in Indy next week. But today I was in Nashville. Colin, this is probably a good end point for you. Lane Kiffin is one of the most interesting head coaches in the history of this sport. It's one of the most interesting stories in the history of this sport. And he sat down with us today for an extended conversation about a lot of things, some of it football, some of it totally off the field, unrelated to football, some of it about what he thinks about himself from a decade to a decade and a half ago. Here is Lane Kiffin with us at SEC Media Days. Lane Kiffin, head coach of Ole Miss, rounding things out at SEC Media Days. I actually walked over to the big room and listened to you this morning. And I want you to go back to 2010 and imagine you're a head coach 13 years later, and the questions are about AI, um, something called the transfer portal, salaries, and free agency. Certainly you would have thought you were in the NFL. What if I told you that was actually a college football press conference? About as strange if you told me I was at the press conference as the head coach of Ole Miss. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, it really is crazy how much it has changed. And really, those things have changed just in a couple years. And I said the, a massive change was NIL. And a massive change was Portal. And they kind of happened at the same time. You know, these are groundbreaking changes that the same time that ended up completely affecting each other because it's now, like we're talking about the NFL, now I can opt into free agency and I get paid, you know, whenever I want to basically. And so it creates um, not just an NFL model, but 
the NFL plus problems, an NFL model, but not the structure. You made uh, a really good point this morning. I kind of thought about it from a different lens because of the way you put it. You said players, they're getting what they can right now. I would do the same thing if I were them because it's kind of a window. Chances are, I agree with what you said, this window's pretty small. So if you fast forward to 2033, 43, 53, we're looking back on the history of college football. I mean, how do you think about the past five-year window? How do you think we'll describe that in the future? Well, I say that about this window, and I think of it like before they got rookie contracts under control. Because the veterans were like, wait, here's Jamarcus Russell <laughs> making $63 million. You know, so after that time frame there, they started changing, okay, what they could make, um, you know, uh, capping what the rookies could make. So I feel like that's kind of like those players got to utilize that window of making so much on rookie contracts. That's where these guys are at now. They have this little window before it gets structured. A lot of the motivation for a college football player is to high school, college football, hopefully make life-changing money in the NFL. And I'm not suggesting that the money in, in college football is anywhere remotely close to what you can earn at the highest level of the NFL, but there are guys who are making pretty substantial money in college. I want to know from you, like person-to-person, uh, -person, do you ever see that change the motivation dynamic? Do you ever see a guy develop maybe the kind of ego that otherwise would have been three or four more years down the road? And if you see that start to play out in practice, or you see that start to play out in the locker room and starts to affect your team, how do you actually go about dealing with that? I think it's definitely an issue. Um, I like to tell our staff, like, you know, let's be really reasonable and realistic about what's going to happen, how players think, not just like, well, this is what they're supposed to think. They should just want to be the best they can and win, and okay, well, that's great, and some are wired like that. But a lot of their motivation, and there's nothing wrong with it, we need to accept that, like as coach, like I talked about, like, accept it is money. They want to get to the NFL because they want to play in the NFL, but actually a lot of their motivation is the money because unfortunately our youth thinks that when you get money, it's going to solve everything, which it'll create more problems, but that's a different subject. So now if they have it, and Mary, like you say, okay, well, it's not as much as they're going to get in the NFL, but to some of them, they're like, wait, I'm getting a couple hundred thousand dollars and I've never had anything it seems like in their mind like they're making millions so there is a major problem in there in ego that comes in and motivation you know if you're let's say you had two motivations to go to the NFL one was to put on that jersey and go to the NFL and the other is to get money one of them just went away a little bit you know um, depending on how much that, that you get and the na naiveness that well I have this I'm going to be set for this many years because of it What's your philosophy on acquiring quarterback talent? You guys got a couple out of the portal. I think it surprised some people. I mean, I raised my eyebrow at it, but at the same time, if I ran a team, I'd want to have as many talented guys in the room as possible. Is that pretty much the way you looked at that? Sure. Like an NFL team, like <clears throat> your goal as the head coach or general manager or owner is like to make the best roster that you can, to make the best position groups that you can, and add talent. And so, like I said, you know, like, we don't recruit or add talent or not add talent based off of someone's feelings. Mm -hmm. Of course, a lot of players don't want other good players coming at their spot. I mean, it just, again, let's be realistic. So, um, but that's not my job. My job is to put the best team and the best players together. 
if we were to let's go time machine again, second time in like five minutes, you take the job at Tennessee '09, and you're watching it. It's 2023 Lane Kiffin. You have a conversation with that guy. What are you going back there and telling him? What advice are you giving him? Um, slow down. You don't know very much. You think you do. Um, and you know, just be more appreciative of where you're at and how fast you got there instead of always just trying to like get more and get to the next thing. Do guys ask you for advice on that kind of stuff? Do people seek it out from you knowing you've, you've been several places now? Well, I think that our past is huge to help people and to utilize your past. And so even it happens all the time, like on subjects like what I'm trying, what we're talking about players and getting the money too fast and then like thinking, okay, well, that's all good. I, I got money, so all my problems are solved and be able to go through situations and explain to them like, well, here, I had that really early and that I didn't make these things go away. So you still got to work on these things and you still got to, you know, fight your ego, which is a, a major monster when you get too much too early. You see that in all professions. If, if I look at this Ole Miss team, it's easy for me to just open a preview magazine and look at what they say. But what do you say are the one or two focal points that will determine three or four games either way this year? Defense, um, new staff, new players all over the place. Um, so how fast does that come together? And then getting back to, to taking care of the ball. You know, we were actually minus one in turnover margin, which for years at different places we've been, we've been really good at. And so um, taking care of the ball, finishing drives. Lane Kiffin, awesome stuff. All right, guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yep. One of the great what-ifs in the history of college football. What if Lane Kiffin stayed at Tennessee? What if he turned down the job offer from USC? Director Colin asks me this about once or twice a week. And I am the shruggy emoji once or twice a week. I don't know, Colin. I do think it's interesting. You listen to a little retrospective there, or an introspective, I guess that would be. He's telling himself, slow down. You don't know anything. You think you do, 09 Lane, but you don't know anything. Let me tell you, if you weren't around for it, he, he may have been in over his skis, according to himself a little bit, but it was fun. It was nothing if not fun. And that dude played Alabama to the wire in his one year at Tennessee. It takes a blocked field goal at the end of regulation. Alabama gets out, I think, a 12-10 to 10 winner. And Bama goes on to win the national title that year. Lane Kiffin was really good for us today. We appreciated him. Um, also, I saw you, Packer. I saw you down there in the live chat. You thought that I put that interview in the middle of the show so that I could chug the pre-workout. I haven't chugged it yet. We're probably a little ways away from that. Jesse, let's just, at the end of Media Day's takeaways, let's chug it. Let's just do it. No immunity, no anything. Let's just do it. SEC Media Day is obviously in the books. We were over there all four days. Now, I know you could watch the press conferences, and I know you've seen your, your beat writers and whatnot and what they said. I'm just going to give you some things I took away and also some things I picked up on, okay? So Billy Napier was really interesting to me. I, I set out this week, and he was a name I circled. Now, we got a lot of big names on the show, and all of those individual interviews are on the YouTube channel, and I don't think we had a bad one this week. I loved them all. I wanted to talk to Billy Napier, and he was awesome off camera. He was awesome on camera. He is so bunkered, man. There is so much negative energy in the public about Florida football, and I genuinely think he is so bunkered. He is so foxholed. He doesn't even have awareness of it. And I thought it was so fun to talk to him about the day-to-day, -day, the day-to-day -day inner grind of recruiting in the SEC, in the state of Florida, 
uh, how the portal works, how he was candid about how they had to learn and they had to get some egg on their face early on. And then they also had staff turnover really late in the cycle. He is a good coach, man. And I talked to other coaches about him. No one really downgrades his ability as a coach. The only doubt when football people have talked to me about Billy Napier is, is he going to be given enough time if 2023 doesn't work out to seven wins or more? And there's a great big question mark. I don't know the answer to that. I think Napier is a good dude. And I think um, if, you could, if you could sit down with him, and especially off camera, um, I think you'd look at him a little differently. That's what I think. I think you'd look at him a little differently. I think some guys, especially if they're not like 15 or 20 year veterans, when the camera's on, you can have a little monotone nature about yourself. You can sound a little cerebral and that gets misconstrued as unemotional. Uh, That guy has a ton of emotion, ton of energy, ton of fire. And I don't know if you've ever met people like this, but when you just talk to him, like if you were sitting down to lunch with him and you brought up certain subjects, you'd see those eyes get wide. You see that fire. I've seen it. You'd see it. And I hope, I hope he's given enough length of rope that we get to see it at Florida. Uh, Jimbo and A&M, I have no clue about. I did not get to talk to Jimbo because I had obligations with CBS. And you know what happened the last time he and I spoke. So I was looking forward to that. We didn't get to get him. Sometimes there are storylines that are really overhyped. Happens all the time. And most of the time, they underdeliver because people have been focusing on stuff that does not matter. In the case of Texas A&M's offense, that's all that matters. And a lot of people are focused on it. Now, you may be focused on the right thing for the wrong reasons. I was talking to Billy Lucci and, and David Nuno and the guys over at Texags, and I was asked this very question. What, what are the keys here? Well, it's obviously how Petrino is plugged in, how the offense functions and operates. But the thing I care about is I don't really care if they get along. I could not care less if Bobby Petrino loves Jimbo Fisher or whether he'd, you know, if he was on fire. You know the saying. I care about whether they can put a functioning offense and a winning product on the field. Emotions totally removed from it. And if they can, all that else is irrelevant. If they can't, then we've already had that conversation on the show. I think a lot of you listened, if you did, to Fisher earlier this week, and there is no yes when people ask him about the offense and how it's going to function. Is Bobby Petrino going to be the guy all this is delegated to? You're not going to get a yes, because that's not the way he feels about it. I think that's pretty obvious at this point. I don't have the best of feelings about it, if you want me to be real with you. Now, I also don't do predictions in July, so it's not a prediction special yet. It is one of the most important stories to watch in college football this year. The Texas A&M offense, early in the year, uh, they go to Miami week two, so we won't have to wait long. I was around Alabama a lot this week. I was around Bama a lot. I was around Nick Saban, obviously, a lot this week. The mentality has totally shifted there. I don't just mean, oh, they're fired up. Oh, they feel disrespected. That kind of stuff is really oversold in a lot of cases. I think they understand what they got to get back to. There's a scene in Gone in 60 Seconds, which is a beautifully underrated movie, by the way. And Nick Cage comes back in town, spoiler alert if you hadn't seen it, and his little brother's in trouble. And he used to be the best car thief in Southern California, but he got out of the biz just in time. And now Raymond Calitri, he's got his little kid brother held hostage. And the ransom is, I need 50 cars. 50 cars, uh, your brother dies. And Nick Cage is the one to do it. But before he goes and steals all those cars, 
what does he do? He calls his mom. Actually, he doesn't call her. He just surprises her at the cafe she's working at. And he takes her and he sits her down. And she says, can you get him out of this? And he says, I can. But it means doing things. Things I told you I'd never do again. I think Nick Saban and Alabama are fully capable of winning the national championship this year. But it's going to mean doing things that you thought they'd never do again. It's going to mean what they less affectionately refer to as murder ball. And if you've ever watched murder ball, you know it doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. And it also doesn't leave a lot of margins. They're bigger and faster and stronger and deeper than you. And they are all holding a sledgehammer and they just hit you with it for four quarters. You can't stand up to it. That used to be the long and short of an Alabama game. The scores used to all look the same. It was going to be them scoring somewhere between 35 and 45 and you scoring somewhere between 7 and 14. And that was what the final score was going to be, about 8 times out of 10. And then quarterbacks like Tua Tungavailoa came along, and Mac Jones was there, and Bryce Young has been there. And Saban sat right there, three feet from me, and said, we got too Bryce-centric last year. Uh, that is code for we were about to run the blank, 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 blank out of the football this year. And we got Roydell Williams and Jace McClellan. We got Justice Haynes back here. Richard Young is a true freshman. Jam Miller. They are like five or six deep with quality options in the running back room. He did talk about how he feels a lot better about their blocking at the tight end position. Their offensive line with Eric Wolford as that offensive line coach, not to be undersold there, could be one of the best in the country. That is a Joe Moore Award caliber offensive line. Ultra physical the most violent bowling ball you've ever seen. That's what that offense has the potential to be. You want a bold prediction for me? I think they'll lead the league in rushing this year. I think that is how drastic the offensive shift in the Alabama offensive philosophy will be. If that's the case, they're equipped to win a national championship. If it's not, I don't think they have the quarterback play to do it. Tennessee, it's, it's a team versus program thing. That's the theme I've gotten every time I've talked to people in the program. Kind of pun intended. Um, they, they won a lot of games last year. Teams have done that before. A program sustains it year over year. We don't know if Tennessee has a good program or not. They don't. They were, they were worried about the NCAA, and finally they got that out of the way. I mean, I was sitting in the room with Heupel today when he was talking to Dennis, and it's like, I mean, it's, it's like <sighs> when you can finally talk about it in past tense, what the NCAA sanctions were instead of what they could be that's a relief. And um, the fact that now you just get to move forward and your fate is totally in your hands, it's, it's about Joe Milton at quarterback there. I know it sounds so simplistic. Oh, you just mentioned every quarterback. I sure do. In these kinds of offenses, I sure do. Uh, what would Tennessee be without Hendon Hooker last year? What would Hendon Hooker have been without Tennessee last year? It's another good way to put it. What has Joe Milton been? What will he be with Josh Heupel inserting him as his full-time starter this year. I look at the schedule. Colin's got it up on the screen right now. You think about Georgia, Florida, and that's, that's been the mainstay as the big rivalry in the East. But this year, the premier game in the East figures to be Georgia, Tennessee. And where is it? If you're not watching, if you're listening on podcast, do you realize this game is November 18th? You got to wait until the second to last week of the season. So what you think and what I think about that matchup right now, what the hypothetical odds on the game are right now, they mean nothing. So many things could happen in terms of injuries. 
what if we figure out Georgia's pass rush is only fairly good by Georgia standards? And what if we figure out Joe Milton is the real deal? What if we get in a situation, in other words, where they're playing them in Neyland, which is on absolute fire, the likes of which it hasn't been since the Alabama game last year, and it's that kind of environment, and maybe Carson Beck is pretty good, not great or elite by any means, and Georgia can't get to the passer, and Tennessee's scoring more points than you're comfortable with, and you can't trade every possession with them like maybe you thought you could with Stetson Bennett. This kind of stuff happens every year. There are elite teams every year that you think look invincible in the preseason, and then football, or in our world, life, happens. Let's just keep an eye on it. Let's not pencil in 12-0 and 0 quite yet. LSU, Brian Kelly was the first guy I talked to this week. Uh, this time last year, yeah, people were talking about whether he was a good fit or not, but we've, we've beaten that to death. I thought it was about entry point with Brian Kelly last year. I always thought he was going to succeed. He is going to succeed there, but I had no clue what to expect in year one. So I didn't even expect him to win the West, certainly not. But I thought it was about entry point. So my, my philosophy was always, he's going to win. Let's find out how far he's going to have to climb. They're going to hop in this, this SEC West picture with Brian Kelly, and they're going to peg themselves. They're going to slot themselves somewhere. Where is it going to be? Turns out it was winning the West. That doesn't make them a better program than Alabama, certainly, but it also did not make them the dregs of the division. Far from it. And so they already pegged themselves probably in a little bit higher entry point than most, including even me, expected. Now it's the same thing. Program versus team. Same theme as we had in Tennessee. Like, Two minutes ago. How good is this program going to be? I got no doubt about it. None whatsoever. I've got far less doubt here than I do at Tennessee, only because I've seen Brian Kelly do it. And in fairness to Hype, I haven't seen him do it. Jaden Daniels was rated as the top quarterback, I believe, in the SEC. I think he'll end up being the, the first team all SEC quarterback. Man, if they get that kind of play out of him, man, if they get depth behind Malik Neighbors, you know, if like Brian Thomas Jr., if, if, those, if those receivers behind that wide receiver one start to slot themselves, if they get just above average production at tailback, and probably most importantly, if those portals hit in the secondary, they could win the West. Uh, Producer Jesse already has a feel on this. I'm not quite there yet. So fun times to be had by all in the SEC. Okay. Barton Simmons used to work here. Now he works like five minutes down the street at Vanderbilt, and he used to hate on me. He wasn't alone, but he was the most high-profile public figure that chastised me because I, to save time, would take turkey, put it in a blender, mix it with water, blend the turkey up, drink it, because I don't care about taste, voila. Well, what we have here, because I'm about to go to the gym after the show, is I've got some pre-workout, I have got some amino acid, and I've got a protein shake, all mixed in the same bottle. So it's like fruit punch, blue raspberry, and milk chocolate. And you got to excuse me because I got to drink it right now because we only have two segments left. And then I want to get right to the gym. So time out. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
the chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire now streaming on Paramount Plus. Could you please like the video and subscribe to the channel? <clears throat> Thank you. All right. Didn't do that for humor. It's just the life I've chosen to live. They're watching us in Seymour, Illinois, Hampton, Tennessee, and Clovis, New Mexico. I love people in New Mexico. I would love to know who you root for. Do, do, you, guys just, do you guys just stick with New Mexico State and New Mexico, in other words? Or do you do New Mexico and Texas? New Mexico State and Ohio State? I just want to know. And I'm going I'm to open that exclusively to our New Mexicans. I want, to, I want to have a lot of New Mexicanity in the comment section. Bold prediction time. Chapter 20. How about that? The 20th anniversary of bold predictions for this year. We're going right to Eugene, Oregon. Bold prediction number one. These are from you, not from me. Davis from Bend, Oregon said, Oregon's going to go undefeated in the regular season. Well, Davis, I'm slapping a nine on the one to 10 boldness scale on this prediction. They were 10 and three last year under Dan Lanning. Now they got just annihilated by Georgia in week one, but then they went on to lose two other games by a grand total of seven points. So a really good team last year. I went up there and saw them against UCLA. Really good game. Now we believe in Bo Nix on this show. Uh, they are ninth in recruiting, ninth in portal this past cycle. I really love, as I've told you many times, the way that they're stacking talent in their defensive front is very important because it's rare in the Pac-12. They got four new offensive line starters. So any, any magazine you crack open, that's probably what it says the biggest question for them is. That plus defensive adjustment, they just got to be better on that side of the ball. I got reason to be confident they will be. Because their head coach is Dan Lanning. And if, if you're halfway decent as a coach, your program reflects your identity. And Dan Lanning's identity is that of a very good defensive mind. So that's a nine for me, only because it's hard to go undefeated. It's really hard. And they, like many others out there in that top group, they pretty much play all the others in the top group. That's a nine. What about West Virginia? Hot seat. We're not doing that tonight, but Neil Brown's name would be well up there. Well, we got a question from Gibson in Clarksburg, West Virginia. And uh, it's not a question, it's a bold prediction. He said, West Virginia will sweep Pennsylvania. Just a keystone sweep. They're going to beat Penn State and Pitt. Now, for those unfamiliar, West Virginia plays Penn State opening night. And it's a night game in Beaver Stadium. And those folks hadn't had expectations this high in quite a while. And there comes West Virginia into town. We got a point spread on this game. Penn State's favored by 20. And my guy here is telling me, not only is West Virginia pulling that upset, they're also going to beat Pitt, and they're only a one-point dog against Pitt. I made this a 9.5. I don't see a world, candidly, where West Virginia is capable of slowing down Penn State's ground game, and I also don't think there's a world where a new quarterback, and it doesn't really matter who it is, it's going to be a new quarterback, by the way, uh, there's no quarterback named. This will be the first non-transfer quarterback since 2013 to start for them. Pretty wild. Um, that guy's going into 
Beaver Stadium in week one, 100 plus thousand at full throat, and he's going to do what? He's going to beat him? I don't necessarily see that happening. And so I'm going to make that a 9.5. That defense was a mess last year. I don't see that being rectified uh, over the span of one offseason. Next up, oh, we got Heisman talk. You know, I told you my, my dark horse for the Heisman, so I'm going to bring it back up here. Uh, handout, he said a non-quarterback will win the Heisman this year. And he said his favorites are Marvin Harrison Jr. and Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers is plus 15,000. Wow, okay. Well, since 2000, Stats and Info tells me we have had four non-quarterback Heisman Trophy winners. And it's just a bunch of Alabama guys and Reggie Bush. It was Ingram, it was Derrick Henry, it was Devontae Smith, and it was Reggie Bush. So most likely here, what's most likely to happen? Well, what's most likely is the top nine Heisman favorites are all quarterbacks. Pathetic. But they are. 17 of the top 20 quarterbacks, you know, the award for the most outstanding player in college football, 17 of the top 20 quarterbacks. Again, pathetic, but it is what it is. Marvin Harrison Jr., if we're going to have a non-quarterback win this thing, he's way up there. He's one of the, the favorites at a non-quarterback position. How about Blake Corum and Quinshawn Judkins, the running backs there from Michigan and Ole Miss? They're tied for the 16th best odds in the country. Uh, Harrison, by the way, is at 10th. But my guy's not even on here. We, if you're listening on podcast, Colin's got a slider there where he's showing all the non-quarterback favorites. Man, Xavier Worthy wasn't even on it. Xavier Worthy's like way buried. And yet I look at Xavier Worthy, and I see a little bit of myself in him. What can I say? We're not so different, he and I. And so we don't really care what the odds board says. I care that my hand is healthy, and I care I got, I got Steve Sarkeesian calling plays for me. And my quarterback shaved his mullet, which clearly means he'll be way better this year. That's science. Don't argue. Don't deny science. We don't on this show. Uh, Xavier Worthy is my dark horse to win the Heisman. We've already got a betting ticket on him. So yes, I have put some money where my mouth is. So go Xavier Worthy. I even learned to pronounce his first name the right way. That's how serious I am about that prediction. Well, pick. And lastly, now this is a tall task here. Did I put a rating on that? I made that a nine. Sorry, that, that's how bold the prediction was. It's a nine. This one's even bolder. Trevor from Arvada, Colorado said Colorado will beat TCU and Nebraska to start the season. Well, I got a 9.5 on the boldness scale for this one. They open against TCU. They're a 20 and a half point underdog on the road. And then they've got Nebraska at home and they're an eight and a half point dog there. For those who have been living in caves, let me remind you, Colorado has 73 new players on their roster. 51. I can't believe these are real numbers. This is not even the metric system. This is real life. 51 transfers, 22 new recruits, 73 new players. Guys, there are some teams that are in bad scholarship situations that won't have 73 scholarship players, period, this year. And they got 73 new ones. Um, Shador Sanders is going to have to play out of his mind. That's the quarterback there. He's going to have to play out of his mind for this to happen. And so many pieces are going to have to gel in summer workouts and fall camp. Because I can promise you, TCU is not handing you that game in week one. So you're going to have to actually earn it. And that's going to be that's going to be tough. So that's a nine and a half for me. I have been scrolling through the comments on the bold prediction videos and looking at your ratings. And I, I encourage that. And I'll tell you why. 
because in December, we review a lot of these segments and some of you end up looking like total geniuses. Rarely me. It's mostly you. So by all means, because I won't even call you out if you end up being wrong, but if you end up nailing it, it's like picking the winning lottery numbers. No one knows that you've bought tickets for 15 years. They only know that you bought one the night you won. Okay, let's wrap the show up tonight by taking our spotlight. And it's a very powerful spotlight, and we've been putting it on program after program. And tonight, I want to go a place that we were last month. Tonight, the spotlight is on Miami, the hurricanes, everything that you need to know about them. Well, the first question, and by 10 miles, the biggest question here, are we getting Tyler Van Dyke circa 2021? Are we getting Tyler Van Dyke circa 2022? What kind of quarterback play are we getting? Uh, listen, I didn't tell you guys this story. When I was down in Miami, I tossed the ball with him for like 20 minutes. I didn't tell him this either. I didn't want him to know. I'll tell you this now. I was tossing with him. We were in the indoor because it was pouring outside. And he, uh, he busted a blood vessel on my finger. I no-sold it. We kept tossing. I didn't drop a single ball. Neither did Francis Malagoa, the freshman left tackle for the record. And so I don't know why I tell you that other than to brag that I threw around the ball with him. But I will tell you this. There's a lot of excitement in that building about the new offensive coordinator. And there's, um, <clears throat> how should I put this? There, there is not a lot of teary eyes that the former offensive coordinator is out the door. I think I've been as diplomatic as I possibly can be with that. Uh, two years ago, over the final nine games, when Van Dyke was the starter, 325 yards per game, 25 touchdowns, six interceptions, and then last year's experiment that was a disaster sees him pass for over 100 less yards per game. Woof. So you find yourself a wide receiver one, you start to get that room shooken out, shooketh out, shaken out the way it should be. Uh, what kind of quarterback play are we going to get? That's question number one. Question number two, how impactful are those transfers and true freshmen going to be? That's what everyone's so excited about down there. I just mentioned Malagoa, the left tackle, alien, total alien, crazy athlete. He's going to start for him. Reuben Bain, there on the edge, he's probably going to start for him. Javion Cohen, the transfer from Alabama, a likely starter on the interior of the offensive line if he's healthy. Number seven overall portal class. You're going to get a really strong taste of 2024 Miami this year. It's just that in the meantime, what if they're so good they go ahead and start winning this year? What a novel concept. Question number three, got to be better defensively. New defensive coordinator there, Lance Guidry. He and Shannon Dawson, both Louisiana boys, what's the caliber there? They allowed 40-plus points in five of those losses last year. And those were not to just the big boys. Middle Tennessee hung 40-plus. Duke hung 40-plus. So when you got Duke and Middle Tennessee just kind of calling the shots, no bueno. Got to make changes. Seven returning starters. Got a lot of portal additions. I, I know the age-old adage. First off, the age-old adage on this show is we don't care about how many starters you return. But also, even if you do, do you really want to be turning, returning a lot of starters from a subpar unit? Hmm. Um, they got good safeties on this team, though. That's one thing they did inherit there. Which brings me to my next point. The spotlight has shown us that the best position group on this team is the safety position. They got the top two tacklers on the team back, both at that position. Cam Kitchens, you see him right there on your screen. If you're watching on YouTube, first team All-American, that's what he did last year. James Williams, 
All-ACC honorable mention, and I don't think they believe he's come close to scratching the surface of his potential down there, just talking to some people when we were down there last month. But uh, listen, it's always a blessing when you can put a lid on the defense. The thing about it is there is no safety tandem. There is no DB room that can cover forever. So obviously, it all works hand-in-hand with affecting the quarterback. I want to know breakout players, though. Every team, because this is not the NFL, every year there's a player or multiple players that end up shining for your team that did not get a lot of preseason love. Well, we need to give Elijah Arroyo a lot of love. Elijah Arroyo is a breakout player from Miami. He's 6'4", 235, is a tight end. You guys got glimpses of what he could do. Just, Just little flashes in 2021. And then injury derailed him in 2022, not to mention Miami did a pretty decent job offensively of derailing themselves. There are people in that program that believe Elijah Arroyo is the best athlete on that team, either side of the ball, regardless of position. And Will Mallory is not there anymore. So he moves on to the NFL. It is a golden opportunity for Elijah Arroyo to blast onto the national scene, to be an integral part of that team. This is not an overly established wide receiver room. Therefore, if you've got a dynamite tight end right there, I'm not doing the whole Brock Bowers thing. I'm saying what Bowers has done to the Georgia offense wouldn't surprise me if Shannon Dawson looked up the road in Athens and said, wow, well, we got this dude here. He, he is a total freak. Maybe we'll do that with him. So uh, we like Arroyo. You could easily go Malagoa there. You could easily go Ruben Bain, but we went Arroyo. The schedule is not kind. There's no way to sugarcoat this. The league office sure didn't. It's not easy at all. So they've got A&M out of conference, and they've got the toughest ACC schedule, we think, of any team in the conference. They play all five of the top teams in terms of odds in the ACC, aside from themselves, obviously. And then when you dive into it a little bit more, you're looking at their schedule right now. They got an early bye, and then they go, they go to North Carolina and then play Clemson the next week. So playing Clemson off a road game against another good team is bad enough. Clemson's rested. They got to buy before they play you. They go back-to-back road games late in the year in November. In fact, they got three road games in November. Three of their final four are on the road. And the last one sees a bunch of kids from South Florida go to Boston. So there you go. If they get it done this year, they will have earned it. No one's using the word cupcake with that schedule. This has been a wonderful week. And we're going to have another live show Sunday. All we ask. All this coverage is free. There's no paywall here. All we ask is that you subscribe to the YouTube channel and subscribe to the podcast. When we say subscribe, understand there's no cost now or ever. It's just something you do to help us. Nobody spams your email. You don't have to exchange any information. You click a button and then you move on about your life and tell your friends to do it as well. Thank you so much. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. We'll be back same time Sunday night. Until then, take care and God bless. all-star studded challenge ever and this time it's every competitor for themselves best challenge ever the challenge all-stars new season now streaming on paramount plus go to paramountplus.com to try it free terms apply